You are listening to a message from Parkway Church in Kurana. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you as you listen. If you'd like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, parkway-church.com. Today I, I have a topic that uh, goes with this um, momentous day. But it is definitely a word from the Lord uh, and not just a Remembrance Day message. But I'm going to be basing my message from a war story in the Bible. You know that the Old Testament is full of stories about war. And in those days, three to 4,000 years ago, that's just the way life was. Um, it was a brutal time to live. And there was not the rule of law like we have. There weren't international courts and governance. And, you know, um, territory went to the strongest one and sometimes not the best one. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, we have a situation. It's the first king of Israel. Now, the prophet Samuel was appointed by God to look over the, uh, the affairs of the nation. And... Uh, then the people said, but we want a king as well. We don't just want someone who hears from God and leads us well and prays all the time. We want a king. So God said, okay, that's what you want. You can have a king. So he's out there in his first battle, and uh, second battle, and here's what happens. I was going to start verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. I know that sounds extremely harsh. Um, if that bothers you, talk to me sometime after service and I have a little bit of theology behind that. But the practical side is, is these people were, these were in, this was a nation that had already uh, devoted itself to destroying the nation of Israel. And so, verse 7 says, Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. They were unwilling to destroy them completely. But everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I'm grieved that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. He set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what's this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What's this lowing of cattle I hear? Saul answered, well, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. That's, that's spin. That's not why he did it. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did not you become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, and make war on them till you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? 
Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. A famous, famous uh, passage. We'll come back to that. But right now, I want to show you a video, if you can get that set up. It's a Remembrance Day video made by our denomination, the PAOC. And just to segue into it, we're talking about, uh, just, be, just before you get it going, we're talking about the obedience. And there's probably no greater obedience that a person has to go through than to walk into the face of those who are trying to kill you just in the name of patriotism and for God and country. It's a, it's a level of obedience I've never, ever experienced myself. But right now, we're going to remember those that did that to literally in, to purchase the freedom that we're enjoying this morning. So let's go ahead and see that video. I find it ironic that those that came back from the war, in my, it was my parents' generation that fought in the Second World War, um, spent years trying to for, uh, forget. And now our challenge is trying to remember. And uh, Harold Patch, the story of Harold Patch, the, the last Tommy is his book. He was one of the two last survivors of, the, of World War I. And um, in 2006, at the, uh, pardon me, in 2004, at the age of 106, he was talked into writing his story in a book. And it's now become a, uh, a very popular book in the, because uh, he's a British soldier, in the public school system in Britain. And I tell about him in um, chapter four of our Family Blessing Guidebook, because to me it was very powerful that men like, like Harold Patch spent 80 years trying to forget and deal with it until they finally shared the story and then their story became a powerful uh, instructive piece for the next generations. So today we remember, and it's very important to remember, not just the First World War, Second World War, Korean War, uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, uh, Af uh, Afghanistan, the Gulf War. There's, there's, many, uh, there's many places that uh, people from our country have fought and died. But it's also, it's also good to remember Let's tell the stories to the next generation because that's how they'll remember. And I pray that that's all we'll have to do in the days ahead is tell the stories of what happened in times past. So I'm going to ask you, and we're close enough right now, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And in just a moment, we're going to spend a whole two minutes in silence and remembering. You can think of, of what comes to your mind. But what we're saying is we'll not forget. We'll not forget more than 60,000 who died directly on the battlefields from our towns and villages in Canada, will not forget the more than 50 million that died in the Second World War. If you take all the civilian casualties and genocide, it's well over 100 million people. And we thank God 
and pray that we'll never have to face anything close to that in our generation. So let's take two minutes of silence starting now. Isn't it strange? Two minutes is a long time, isn't it? To be just alone with your thoughts, the way we live life today. We'd do well to do that more often for other issues in life as well. Who is Who here in this room today is fairly artistic? Can draw a circle pretty well. Okay, Rianne, come on up. I know you're not shy. Uh, your parents were... Stuff like this. So you're my you're my artist today, okay? Mitch, could you bring the whiteboard right up here behind me? And we've got some uh, white erase markers there. Thank you. <clears throat> so were you ever in a service watching your mom and dad do this kind of stuff for children? Tell tell uh, the folks here. Yeah, my my parents are children's evangelists. They are um, Joel and Mary Heinbecker. Yes, I am a Heinbecker, proud of it. And those of you who know them, they know me. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so what we're going to do is... Um, Okay, so we're, just, uh, as, as I speak, um, yeah, at, just one at a time as I speak, as I call for it. Okay, so we're going to do a little thing about um, assigning a value to certain things in life. So here we go. How much, when it comes, spiritually speaking, how much is fame and influence worth? Zero. Okay, let's put a zero down. Maybe up higher so people can see it. Just, just leave that there and we'll just go up higher. Okay, zero. Okay. How much is political power worth? Okay, to the left of that, put another zero. Just, okay, good. And um, how about spiritually? How much is money worth to be wealthy? Yeah, zero. Okay. This is uh, good so far. Right answer. Now we're gonna now we're gonna get a little more difficult here. How much is a good education worth? Zero. Stay with me here. Okay, another zero. How much is being clever, like Mitch is? Okay, really clever. <laughs> Smart. How, how much is that worth? Zero. You get... Okay. Don't take that personally. That was for anybody. Okay. Well, and how much is a good spouse worth? Having, having a good spouse worth. How much is that? Zero. Now you're going, what are... Pastor, where are you going with this? Like, I'll tell you where I'm going. How much is obeying God's voice, obedience worth? One. Put a one there. Okay? Now let's put a comma here and here. So without obedience, everything else is a string of nothing. But when it's led by obedience, everything else becomes significant. 
Does that make sense? We all get that? Make a great children's lesson. Let me say it again. Without obedience, everything else you're trying to accomplish or have in life is a string of nothing. But when it's led by obedience, it all becomes significant. Thanks, Rianne. That's great. Give it up for Rianne. Way to go. Thank you. Obedience. You see, Saul thought he was obeying by partially obeying. But partial obedience is disobedience. You can't be half pregnant. There's some things in life you either are or you aren't. You can be halfway along in your pregnancy, but there's some things that they are or they aren't. And if you're not obedient, you're disobedient. And trust me today, if you feel my finger is pointing at you, the rest are pointing back at me. I'm absolutely preaching to myself today. And I'm not going to give you the personal examples of my disobedience because then I'll lose my anointing and I'll get into that again. Think of all those times, coulda, shoulda, woulda. But going forward, I want to be obedient. You see, for the reason what was really going on in those days is... God was establishing a land and a place for his people so that they could finally redeem a barbaric culture. The days back then were like ISIS. People chopped people's heads off if they didn't like it. It was a brutal time. And God said, I'm going to take a man. I trust Abraham. I'm going to make a family out of him. I'm going to show a godly society. And I'm going to make a beachhead for godliness and goodness so that we can have righteousness. There was a, a good purpose to this. But it's not going to work if you keep the evil king alive and you say, well, God said, test my heart by saying, don't take any of it. Oh, we'll take some because, you know, I mean, huh, come on, like, that's useful. And, and do you know what the consequences were for, for Saul? He lost, he lost his kingship. Not only that, he lost the presence of God and he became a man, it says, that was troubled by an evil spirit. To obey is better than sacrifice. So what does obedience look like? In a time of trouble and war, it can, it, obedience means not giving in to your fear. Not giving in to your fear. One veteran said, we were all afraid. It's just some could still operate while they were afraid. That was the difference. We were all afraid. If you weren't afraid, you're insane. But some of us could operate while afraid. Some of us could face the bullets. Some of us could move forward. And sometimes obedience is do it, do it afraid. Do it afraid. And do it until you've seen God move enough that you're no longer afraid. Obedience is that part of the Christian life where we act according to our will. We use our will to do something until it becomes natural. We can't always just let our boat go with the direction of the wind. Anybody, anybody here sail? Anybody here have sailed a boat or been on a sailboat? Oh, come on, you live this close to the water. What's going on with you folks? Okay, put up your, they're like, oh, I'll put up my hand just so you'll move on to the next point. He won't know. <laughs> But we get the idea. You just don't put the boat out there and let the wind 
push it around. The obedience is the hand on the rudder. It's knowing the direction and staying with the direction that you want the boat to go. To obey is better than sacrifice. What he meant by that, because Saul said, oh, I kept some to sacrifice. He doesn't mean to obey is better than to do sacrificial things. He means to obey is better than sacrifice means to obey is better than to make up your own way of worship. Saul was not supposed to be doing the sacrifice, but he was spinning it. He was excusing himself. He was saying, oh, well, in his heart, he was trying to keep stuff for himself. And he spun it as an act of worship. I don't need to go to church. I worship in the forest. I can worship on my own in nature. Anybody ever been told that when you ask somebody to come to church? I can, but you can, I'll guarantee you, the next Sunday, that person's not out in nature worshiping. They're like watching, you know, the Steelers wipe out the lions or something at home on the TV. So we say these things, but it's an excuse to not obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. Say it with me. To obey is better than sacrifice. So one, one way that obedience is manifest is doing nothing when we want to do something. Is waiting on God. Is, is honoring him. Knowing that he's going to come through for us. Right now... We're at a certain point in our church's journey where we're kind of waiting. And I know some of you weren't thrilled with the announcement that the latest two candidates, that the selection committee, including the board and others, felt no. But I want to honor them for that. Because God's at work while we wait. Remember my first or second week here? While we wait, God's at work. God's at work. God's at work. You know, you're coming along in the, in the highway. One Saturday night, I, was, I thought I would come down here Saturday night and get some work done instead of Sunday morning. And I hit Woodstock. And in Woodstock, they were taking down a bridge over the highway. So the entire 401 was stopped. And it was routed through town to get back or on an exit ramp and to get back on the highway. So I'm barreling along, driving under grace, not law, and uh, at my comfortable speed. And I come off around the bridge there from the 403 to the 401, and the next thing, dead stop. At that moment, I just went, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm enjoying life so much. No, I didn't. Okay. At that moment, I didn't say a bad word, but I thought some bad things. <laughs> I was frustrated because I'm... I'm doing my thing, and all of a sudden, I'm at a dead stop. But why? Because there's a bridge that probably is going to fall down if they don't fix it. And while I waited, they're working. And when I got finally up close, they had four cranes, and they were giving her. These, these weren't your you know, they're construction guys. They're all walking around with their Tim Hortons talking. Like, there's some place, there's lane reduction on the, on the 402 out there between Strathroy and here. And... Sunday mornings, they're always out there, but I'm telling you, I don't know what they're doing on that bridge. They're walking around with their coffee every time I come through. God bless them. If you're one of those workers, keep it up. But uh, get myself in trouble with that. But uh, 
These guys were given her. And, and I just was reminded, every time it seems you come to a stop, just know in the spiritual realm, God's working hard. And he's got, he's got his angels going. He's got his people working. And, and not only that, we've got the selection committee and Scott Doggart, who's our regional director for the PAOC. He's at work, and I've been in touch with him. So I've been doing my part, too, behind the scenes and prayerfully looking and talking to others. It just takes the one yes. It just takes the one aha. Okay, it's all going to come. But I'll tell you something. God can release that in a moment. In one week, the whole thing can, can change the, the feel. So why are we waiting? I believe we're, God's waiting on us. Now, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Because I believe that God's waiting for us to be fully obedient. Saul deliberately waited. He said, wait for seven days, then I'll come. It was seven days. It was like, oh, I did everything. He said, oh, I just better do it myself. And at that moment, that's when Saul or Samuel, the prophet, shows up. It was a test of the heart. When you're pushed to your natural limit, it's a test from God how your heart will respond when you can't see the future. That's the time you know what's really going on in there. Anybody can praise the Lord when they win the lottery. Even unbelievers will say, thank God. But when you're pushed to the limit, whatever your limit is, that's when you find out something about your heart. And Parkway, right now, we're being pushed a little farther than we thought. And that's okay because God's at work. So let's not be like Saul and say, so, well, we better just put our hand to this and do it our way. Or just say, like many did, part of the reason why he did that was people were going home. They were dropping out on him. And, and Saul got really nervous because his army is just, well, well, fine, man. You know, you said this prophet guy is going to be here, whatever. We, I'm not going to battle with you guys. This, I, I, I just don't trust. I can't see anything. You said this is going to happen. It hasn't happened. You look nervous. You expect me to run down that valley and sacrifice my life for you? Like, forget it. I got a wife and children home. I'm getting the pitchfork. I'm going home here. You can have the sword. That's what was happening. People were just dropping out. And it put huge pressure on the leader that he never should have had. But it was still part of his job to not give in, to trust God. And, and, and when things are slow and when things seem like it's a no and, and we're, we're not sure and we can't see. Bible says, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. We lose our discipline when we can't see where we're going. Ah, whatever. And I'm here to tell you, guys, it's the, it's the wrongest time to be doing that. It's the most wrong time. To be casting off restraint. Because when you're in that moment, you need to be all hands on deck. Let me, uh, let me use and an, keep going with the boat analogy here. Um, anybody heard of the St. Clair River? Okay, good. <laughs> That's the best response all morning. <laughs> Anybody ever seen one of those big freighters along the St. Clair River? Okay. Almost all of them have to go through the Welland Canal as well at the other end, which is near our, where we live. And we've, my wife and I cycled up and down there a few weeks ago. 
43 kilometers long. And most boats entering the locks, because it's been enlarged three times in the 150 years it's been going, 180 years. Most boats that go in there, the channel freighters, not the ocean-going ones, but the channel freighters, which are the longest, they have 15 inches on each side, 15 inches, and no more than three feet underneath, sometimes a foot and a half. They have a special channel pilot, canal pilot, who has to be an experienced boat operator and then go through a rigorous training and goes on there with the captain because when they come at that lock, there is no margin for error. They actually put one little part of the boat along and kind of move it along the side and then turn and stop it at the right moment. And they say going upstream is even worse because there's, there's pressure and there's, sometimes there's waterfalls on the side. And, and one experienced canal pilot said the worst moments are in a fog because they have their, all their GPS, their AIS, and their PPS, and all these things they use that communicate and keep the boat going. And he says, but you can't even trust all of that because we have 15 inches to spare. I mean, these things are hundreds of tons, thousands of tons, I imagine, when they're loaded. And he says, that's the time we need everybody out there with their eyeballing it. And in fact, in some cases, they, they actually have a board. They lower people from the boat and put them on the edge. And they start, the crew has to, has to rally around and do it. And I'm trying to tell you right now, it's time for all hands on deck. Now, Bob was doing his best there to be kind to us all, saying, I need a volunteer, I need a volunteer, I need a volunteer. But friends, coming out for the St. Uh, the, the Nick Parade, the Santa Claus Parade, being on the front and just handing out a bit of hot chocolate for an hour, that ain't hard. That's just not difficult. But what it does it, for, the, for the name of Jesus and for the church is huge. Now, I want to show you a picture here of a boat. Let's just push this analogy a little further here. And um, can we have the catamaran picture first? Catamaran. Okay. Anybody been on a catamaran like that? Okay. I got to be on one that was bigger than that in Barbados. So I was doing 18 days of teaching and ministry in the Caribbean at YWAM bases. This missionary life is tough, I'll tell you. In the winter. And so two days we're flying, 19 days we're teaching, which is really a crazy schedule. I would not do that at this stage of my life. This was 15 years ago. But um, it's not even obedient to do that. So I... One day got canceled, <clears throat> and uh, uh, I heard the Lord say to me, you've been working hard, here's a day off. Somebody paid for me to go on a catamaran cruise. So, I mean, it was just awesome. We got to, to do a little, um, not scuba diving, snorkeling to see the sea turtles. And you see those steps at the back of that? It was like that. I actually decided, I sat on the bottom step, step held my hands on the railing, and body surfed for a half an hour. It was just like the water's about... 89 degrees Fahrenheit. It's just, I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Now, that's my idea of sailing. I got on that boat. There was all the free food I could eat. I could body surf. I could snorkel. Now, that's, that's, that's my idea of a good sailing trip. <clears throat> I didn't even look or think about the crew. And some people treat church that way. They come and they say, oh, I just love it when 
You know, that one's wor- leading worship. I just love the worship here. Man, you can get free food and baked goods every time. This church is great. You can get free clothing. Oh, I just love going to this church. I like being part of this place. But in the church, every passenger is also a crew member. Next slide, please. We're not on a catamaran cruise. We're on a race to God's glory. And this, this picture is called All Hands on Deck. And when the ship is about to hit a corner with a large yacht, everybody has to get up. They've been enjoying the sun, but they had to get up and they scramble. Everyone on there is about 18 people in that picture. Everybody has a job to do. And if we go to the next picture, let's see what that job is. I don't know if you can... Uh, oh, yeah, that's not a bad uh, resolution there. What are they all doing? They're sitting on the side. The same side, facing the same direction. Big job, eh? Now, there's about four people at the back. There's four people doing various jobs steering. But the rest of them are just sitting there. But they're doing more than sitting. What happens if they don't sit on that side at that time? The boat capsizes. Their being there is important... And it's really important at that time that they're all on the same side of the boat. Now, think of this for a minute. If one of them goes and sits on the other side, because I like it over here. This is really cool with all the waters coming up the edge. One person goes on the other side. You need two more people to make up for that. One to bring it back to neutral and another to bring the weight that he would have had on that side. I want to tell you, it's a pretty simple analogy. For everyone right now going your own way, just doing your own thing, because you're like, oh, I don't know what this boat's doing here. Where are we going at Parkway? And who's where? For every one of us that just is doing our own thing right now, two other people need to step it up and make up. It makes a difference when you're not at your assigned place at the assigned time. And you know what? None of them are working hard. They're just where they're supposed to be. And they're not fighting. <laughs> And they're facing the same direction. And their presence is adding weight and keeping that ship going the same way. Acts 1 and 4. You don't have to turn there. You probably know it. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem till I send the Holy Spirit. See, they had one job until the Holy Spirit showed up. Be together Face the same direction. Don't drop out. Be there with your time, your talent, your treasure. And just be there. Because right now, this ship needs to stay afloat and needs to go. We'll get to open water later. When you're going through the channel, when it's foggy with those boats, those are the times everybody's on alert. Nobody gets to go down and, and you know, to the, to the lunch room and just chill out at that time. Through the channel... Everybody just has a job to do to make sure we're right. And I want to say right now, Parkway, like, I love this church. I love you folks. We're just still getting to know each other. What has it been, four months, four to five months right now, not even five. But I I, I kind of know who you are, and I'm saying, now's the time we need you. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together like some are in the habit. 
Do you know that you being here on a Sunday morning, worshiping is like sitting on that side of the boat? You're adding your presence. You are opening heaven. You are maybe the one that somebody comes in for the first time that says hello to and says, oh, I get along with that person. Just being here at this time, just pointing your heart in the right direction, not criticizing others, but saying I'm with you, trusting each other, being here, that's a big deal. That's a real big deal. If somebody say amen, or I'm just going to keep razzing on you about this. <laughs> Serving hot chocolate for an hour, that's a big deal. Once a month, delivering some soup, that's great. Nobody's being asked to do heroic efforts right now. We just need you. Well, what's the vision of the church? I'm tired of doing that. I've done it before. The vision of our church right now, the vision of that captain of that boat, you don't have to put it back on, but the vision of the captain at that time is get through this corner. Then when the boat settles down, we'll chart our course because then we'll be in open water. The vision of the canal pilot is get through this tight squeeze and then we've got some wiggle room. Then it's, we can just enjoy. I can put this thing on autopilot. And we can all have lunch. And the vision right now, friends, is just these ministries that this church do, they're all for the community. Just let's keep it intact. And when a new leader comes and is appointed, I'll guarantee you there will be a download of vision. There will be a new excitement. There will be some change. Maybe some things we're doing will stop doing. But now's not the time to stop doing them. Now's the time to get with it. Now's the time to keep giving. Now's the time to keep showing up. Now's the time to keep trusting that, you know, we're all, we're all, we all have our flaws and, and this person would have done this different, that person would have done it, but we're all doing it for Jesus. And in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our, our uh, you know, our, our, our talent that's sometimes up to it and sometimes isn't, in the midst of that, Jesus can make all things work together for good. <clears throat> uh, just a list of quotes here. Okay. Jesus said, He who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. He who is not for me is against me. And I can't remember a famous quote from someone who said, All it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. Now, I want to give you one more quote. And it's mine. I like it. Listen, please. We're almost done. Don't imagine that you will prosper in times of abundance when you wander in times of want. Don't imagine that you're going to prosper and be obedient in times of abundance if you wander in times of want. You can read the whole Old Testament wandering for that one, uh, for an example of that one. It's a test of our hearts right now. Let's just put that boat back up one more time, this yacht number two. Let's just, let's just be here. Let's just get together. Let's just enjoy the thrill of the ride, knowing that Jesus won't let this thing capsize if we're all together. Let's honor him by putting up with each other's flaws. And let's just love each other and love God. And when God knows and he says, yep, Parkway gets it, I'll guarantee you things start to change. God's waiting on our obedience. Obedience first, then the blessing.
faith first, then the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Paul says, I've called you to the obedience of faith. And right now, that obedience is to stay doing what we've been called. Don't try to reinvent it. Don't give yourself uh, a lame excuse to drop out. Just be here. Thank you to everyone who's been cleaning the church. Thank you to everyone who's been opening and closing the church. Thank you to everyone who's been doing extra duty in nursery and, and children's ministry. Thank you to those who are at the front and baking cookies. Thank you to everyone. Stand with me, please. Thank you so much for listening to our message. We hope that it blessed and encouraged you. If you liked what you heard, we would love for you to come join us on a Sunday morning here in Karana at 10 a.m. at 551 Murray Drive. If you'd like more information on who we are as a church and as a community, you can visit our website at parkway-church.com.